everybody welcome to another episode of the anything but typical podcast oh boy this is going to be fun we we're not just bringing you one we're bringing you two accomplished entrepreneurs this is going to really be fun so we've got mike and cindy prager and you're going to hear about each of their journeys and how they kind of came together and it, it, this is going to be a lot of fun so we're going to start ladies first cindy I know you're a tennis player too, so we'll just start with maybe that, right? You are walking from your car to the tennis club. Somebody sees you and they go, hey, that's Cindy Prager, the amazing Cindy Prager. And they start talking about you and they don't realize you can overhear everything that they're saying. What would you want somebody to say about you? I think the thing that is most important is they'd say, oh, that's Cindy. She is really, really nice to everybody and will help anyone out. She gives to them. She helps them out. Um, and she's just a super nice person. Um, and then you can say, oh, yeah, and she has a son and a husband. She's a great mom and a great wife. That's what I would love to hear. I like that. Mike, we're going to turn the tables on you. Uh, and I didn't ask you, are you a tennis player too? I am a tennis player. In fact, uh, I was playing at 7 a.m. this morning. So um, I, got my <laughs> I got my tennis workout in already. It was nice and brisk this morning. So, and it's, yeah. you know, I was playing inside. Out. So full disclosure, oh, okay. I was playing inside. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, but, uh, the scenario is still the same. You're walking to your favorite tennis courts. Somebody says, hey, that's Mike Prager. What would you want somebody to be saying about you, Mike? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, it's around, you know, kind of the support of the entrepreneurial community and the ecosystem here in Charlotte around, you know, as we've uh, built the Abbott Exchange, we've really leaned into how we support the um, entrepreneurial you know, community, uh, try to foster, you know, um, and give resources to entrepreneurs to build, you know, um, other companies uh, like the success that we've had at Abbott Exchange. And then along with that, I think there's kind of the community aspect of it around, um, you know, what we've done with the Avid Exchange Foundation and really leaning into uh, specifically our Tech Rising initiative of providing, uh, making sure that, you know, all high school students are an equal playing field related to technology. And what we've kind of, you know, all the you know, research and studies have shown that you really, you know, um, eliminate the economic divide if you create an economic, I mean, you know, equal playing field on technology, because then, you know, all the students have the same opportunity. And so we've been really leaning into that you know, here in the Charlotte community and hopefully uh, be able to expand it to other communities as well. Well, both of your answers lead right into some of the things we're already going to ask you about. So this is perfect. But I'll step back for a second. And Mike already mentioned Avid Exchange. So Mike is a co-founder, chairman, and CEO at Avid Exchange. And Cindy is the co-founder and managing partner at Rhythm Systems. And we're also going to get into her being a professional speaker and the workshops that she hosts, things like that as well. So typically, I would start this off with a question, but Gary has a burning question that he wants to kick off with. So Gary, the floor is yours. Ben, you are a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'm the one that usually steps on toes verbally over here. So you're just so good. <laughs> so Cindy, when you and I were having coffee, actually, we were meeting 
a number of people that kind of came across yeah. our paths at, yeah. at Lincoln's Haberdashery yeah. in South End. It's a fun little place to go. If you haven't ever been there, go. Um, but we were talking a little bit about your and Mike's journey. And you've got to talk to the listeners about you guys were both in some entrepreneurial studies in college. So take us back to that, because that's just an interesting story. Yeah, you know, it, it was really interesting because when we were in college, it was um, we went to Georgetown and basically there were paths um, and the traditional paths, lawyer, doctor, MBA, um, investment banking, et cetera. Those, those were the paths that people took. And at that time, there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Amazon. And so in a lot of senses, it was frowned upon. Right. And uh, I remember that in my college, there was a thing called ACE um, and it was called Association of, of Collegiate Entrepreneurs. Yeah. College Entrepreneurs. And I was one of the few as there were like four of us that were in there. So it was really crazy. And they actually had a conference in Chicago. And I remember one day saying, you know, we got to go to this conference in Chicago. And a couple of friends of mine and I, we like literally drove there just to go to this conference and then drove back. So there were no entrepreneurial classes at that point. It was just one club and you just had to, you know, work with it. So yeah, that's my story. What I'm just curious, each of you answer this question, if you would. Did you have parents or family members that were entrepreneurs? But like you're, what you said is actually we've heard that before um, from a number of folks, Mac Lackey in particular <laughs> here in town. So he had this kind of the same thing. People looked at him like he had three heads when he said he wasn't going into banking and, you know, he's going to do entrepreneur. Yeah. And they're, they're thinking he's going to be you know, living in a doghouse in his parents' backyard or something, you know. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit more about what was the fascination or what prompted you, each of you to do that. And so, Mike, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you and then back to Cindy. Yeah, so my um, entrepreneurial journey was really, I started really out of necessity. Both my parents were school teachers. Uh, my mom taught, you know, second grade in the same classroom for over 30 years. And my uh, dad was a math and uh, math teacher and then became an administrator in my high school. And so, um, again, you know, uh, you know, they thought I was going to take, you know, um, you know, kind of more of the traditional path in my hometown. The successful people were, you know, uh, the, the doctors and the lawyers. Um, but I was actually was intrigued by, you know, kind of uh, business leaders. And uh, interesting enough, I grew up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And there was two actual, um, really at the time, um, you know, business leaders, which were, you know, building companies, which were not very well known. In fact, they're much smaller companies back when I was growing up. And one was, you know, Herb Kohler at the Kohler Company. And the second one was uh, Ralph Steyer of Johnsonville Sausage. And, uh, and the Steyers were our neighbors. Um, and so uh, Johnsonville Sausage was a pretty small company when I was growing up. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, saw, you know, just like, you know, the building of a business and kind of the impact that was having, you know, both, um, you know, in the community as well as, you know, in the in kind of in their family. And uh, I always kind of, you know, had that in the back of my mind. And then um, I went home, my 
freshman year from Georgetown after, you know, a kid from Wisconsin going out to Washington, D.C. and experiencing uh, living in D.C. for the first year and then going back to Wisconsin for the summer. I was like, I can't do this again. I got to, you know, um, I got to stay out, you know, you know, stay out east in the future. Um, and I told my parents that and they said, well, that, you know, that's OK, but you got to figure out a way to you know, support yourself and, you know, pay for rent and everything else in the summer until you stay out there. And um, and so one of the things that um, stuck in the back of my mind, again, is uh, growing up in kind of the, you know, having two parents as teachers. One of the things that was common um, in Wisconsin for the teachers to do was uh, that they would paint houses in the summers um, as kind of, you know, a secondary income, you know, outside the school year. And uh, and I said, uh, OK, there was an opportunity to kind of, um, uh, there was kind of an organizational structure that helps students run their own business over the summers. And uh, and I said, you know, let's kind of, uh, you know, do that and, you know, have it be applied to painting. And so started a student painting company. And, um, um, you know, one thing kind of led to another and I was pretty successful convincing, uh, you know, um, you know, stay home moms uh, that were the home during the day and, Northwest DC to that, you know, that they should support a local college student, um, you know, try to make money over the summer and, and paint, uh, you know, their, their old, you know, house that needed painting. And then uh, one thing led to another and uh, we ended up with the contracts at George Washington University and Georgetown University to paint all the dorm rooms over the summer. And so kind of dial forward, uh, I ended up uh, with about 200 students uh, working for me uh, for my remaining years at Georgetown. Uh, running this painting business. And then uh, what, you know, I didn't realize at the time is that, you know, I actually, you know, had a business that's fairly valuable. And, um, but then my senior year, um, you know, all my friends are going off and doing investment banking and management consulting, everything else. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to get a real job. And so I actually um, joined Summit Partners, um, uh, a venture capital partnership uh, in Boston. And, um, and then, um, it, but the kind of the entrepreneurial experience that I had there was um, really, um, you know, transformational for me in terms of when I got the summit and was on the investing side, um, I really kind of knew my roots were in actually building a business. And, um, and so, um, you know, it was kind of one building block after another, but I would say going back to what, you know, what I would say in hindsight, what my parents gave me that, you know, really uh, been helpful today was just like, you know, the discipline around work ethic and uh, perseverance and those type of things, you know, kind of then applied to entrepreneurship. Man, what a cool story. Um, I, I, I've got family, my dad was a, an educator too, so I can, and, and the painting thing, like <laughs> I could relate that, that is so good, but that's amazing. 200 employees you know that were students oh man that's we got to go into a little bit more of that too because the um interest of you going in like oh well you got to get a real job well real job you know like <laughs> what um, right right, right. But I, I, I didn't realize at the time but actually uh you know uh i was making a lot of money going to school running this painting business and then i'm like okay well i'm gonna take a significant pay cut to get a real job <laughs> I think that's amazing. But, you know, look, you, you learn some great things in the real job, too. You know, yeah. probably some additional disciplines. But um, 
Cindy, let's kick it back to you. I want to hear a little bit more of your story too, as far as you know, entrepreneurs in your family. What was what was the spark that ignited that in your in your soul? Yeah, so it was really interesting. Um, we had all doctors in the family, and um, there was one principal. I had never seen a business owner. I had never interacted with a business owner in my entire life, so I knew nothing about it. Now, I'll tell you the funniest story um, about I, too, was involved in student painters, the um, organization they had sent down um, two people to start it up in, in what they called Maryland, because <laughs> they were Canadian and they didn't realize it was called Maryland. Anyway, um, I too was involved. And I want to tell you one of the funniest stories. And the reason being is because as entrepreneurs, I really believe you got to learn to roll with it, right? I've been a guest speaker and, in colleges and stuff. And one of the things is you got to roll with it. So what happened was it was my first day and I had purchased a very big station wagon. Now, for anyone who probably doesn't realize what a station wagon is, it's this long car. It's long. It's really long. Well, and I had especially my- Especially back in the 80s, uh, they were a lot longer than they are today. Yeah. And at any moment, this car could break down. And we knew it. It was old. So you couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford anything else. So I had the ladders on top. I'm going to my first job. And what happens is I go to park the- um, I go to park the station wagon and I, I go to manipulate it. And it just like, it won't go. It was just hard. It, I don't know what was going on. I've never joined a station wagon. I actually don't really have great depth perception, but I was doing it. And out come my guys who I hired mostly the football players. Right. And so out come our guys and they're walking down the street and they're screaming, boss lady, boss lady, you've got to stop. Well, what happened is my bumper connected to the bumper of another car. And as I was pressing the accelerator, it was pulling that other car into the center of the street. And so my, um, my guys are like, boss lady, stop now. Thank goodness I had the football players because they lifted my car up and moved it. And they actually moved back the other car. It wasn't damaged at all. And so there we were, that is step one of my entrepreneurial journey. And again, you got to roll with it. You know, we took the ladders, we got ready, we painted the house, but I think that that's a very, very big lesson for a lot of people. I don't know. I can't tell you why. Sometimes you, you do things and it comes naturally. Why did I join association of, it, it, it probably was something that was just innate in me. It wasn't a purposeful thing. So yeah, that's that's my entrepreneurial journey. I, I had never ever seen a business person ever. Isn't that interesting, right? To have no exposure to entrepreneurship, yeah. no trigger point of hey, I saw this person speak, or Mike, in your case, like you had this neighbor. There's you didn't have that trigger, and then suddenly you're in ACE and catch the bug for entrepreneurship. Yes, that there was no no trigger point there. Yep. yep. For anybody listening, especially if you're young, <laughs> like Ben, <laughs> um, a, a station wagon, picture a hearse. <laughs> yeah, That's what a station yeah. wagon is. <laughs> <laughs> Only hearses are a little bit shorter. <laughs> yeah. 
Gary, I'm not that young. Station wagons were still around when I was growing up. Yeah. Oh, there you go. My generation never drove them, but we were driven around yeah. in them. That's. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, so, Cindy, I want to go a little bit further. So you had that, that first experience. You were in ACE. You were getting more into that world. What did it look like? What did your evolution of entrepreneurship look like? How did you then continue progressing? Yeah, so... Um... I graduated and I worked briefly at LaSalle Partners. And then uh, there was an opportunity to buy a small business. And so I bought a flower, floral importing business. So flew in flowers from Thailand and other places and sold them to um, floral shops around Boston. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture um, in doing that. And I do have some funny stories with that too. Um, and then both of you have mentioned getting to Boston and, and Mike, you had mentioned something earlier that I want to make sure we hit on before we keep going further and further into your guys's evolution of the idea that you specifically targeted Charlotte as a place to be able to run and grow businesses. Can you talk about that of how you, how you guys made that decision of we're leaving, we're going to leave Boston, we're going to go to Charlotte and the reason for it? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, a little um, like uh, insight to the, the parameters of why we ended up in Boston. Cindy actually um, is uh, was a couple of years ahead of me in school. Uh, she's well, one actually, one. Oh and, no, that's not right. No, two years ahead of me in school. Two years so, ahead. Yes, yeah. yes. So she was a senior and I was a sophomore. So she graduated. Yeah. She went to Boston doing management consulting, and so uh, but we started dating um, my sophomore year at Georgetown, and so um, I was very focused on you know, uh, career opportunities in Boston uh, as a senior at Georgetown. So my geographic focus was uh, you know, quite limited. Um, and then that led me to uh, Summit Partners and to Venture Capital out of school. And, uh, and certainly my entrepreneurial experience was to the catalyst for, you know, kind of getting that role. Uh, you know, these venture jobs, especially at that point, were, you know, dominated by, you know, Harvard and Stanford, uh, you know, Princeton alums. So Mike, um, that, that was another incentive for you to leave the painting company and and go find a, a real job. You had you had to get up to Boston so you could be around. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so um, I, I did the um, uh, the venture capital. Uh, I was at Summit for about three years, and then um, there was an opportunity. Um, there was a company, a deal that we looked at. It was a, a, a software company that automated kind of the the tax billing, tax collection functions for. Uh, municipalities. Um, and uh, the deal didn't make sense for, you know, Summit Partners, um, a little bit too small, too quirky, those type of things. Uh, but I was kind of intrigued by the business. And so left and put together an investor group to acquire the company, which Cindy was part of that as well. So Cindy and I uh, were, you know, kind of the management team of acquiring this company in Boston. And um, I think, uh, you know, the two of us were the two youngest people in the company. And I remember like, you know, we were in our you know, mid-20s, uh, and um, uh, our management team, I think uh, the rest of the management team, the youngest person was like, you know, in his early 50s. Uh, and, so, and, and, and so it was a really kind of unique experience around, you know, kind of building a business. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, lessons learned there about, you know, we just, you know, kind of like worked crazy hours, but didn't work, you know, probably as smart as, uh, as we certainly have kind of learned to work over time. Um, but we uh, and had an opportunity to sell that business at the end of 96. And 
when um, you know that occurred, we were both in Boston. We said, "Hey, you know, Boston's great in the summers, uh, but uh, you know, not so much in the winters." And uh, we can you know move anywhere, um, and we we're very deliberate about looking for places that, you know you know to you know that we thought had the right combination of support for entrepreneurs, you know, better weather, you know, um, you know, better lifestyle, things like that, and. We were always impressed by Charlotte, and we'd never been to Charlotte um, except for like the airport while connecting to Florida, right? And um, and so, but when we uh, met people from Charlotte around the country at different conferences and uh, you know trade shows, things like that, uh, people from Charlotte were always you know this super positive, you know, gung ho about the city. And uh, so we went down it was Labor Day weekend '96 and came down to Charlotte and. Uh, uh, you know, I think it was the first day we were in Charlotte. We both looked at each other and were like, this is it. You know, this is where we need to be. Um, we actually bought a lot on Lake Norman that weekend um, and went back and ended up building a house and, and moving down to Charlotte. Had no idea what we were going to do when we got to Charlotte. Um, and then that was a catalyst for um, starting kind of the second business with two of our partners in Boston that was in the human resources side, building a suite of web-based tools to allow companies to uh, more effectively recruit technology skill set workers into their business. On that part, when you then make that decision, you move down, you've sold the first business and, and sold it at a at a young point, right? And you're in not just yeah. age, but also in your, your career. Yeah, we are both in our 20s. Right. Yeah. So most people experience their first exit. If they have an exit, they're fortunate for that. It happens later in life, typically. Talk about what that meant to to each of you. And Cindy, I want to start with you first. So being able to, to have that exit at such an early point in your life, what did that mean to you? How did that impact you in your life or your outlook, anything like that? Well, I think the most important thing is what you're going to do in your next step. And I, as Michael said, it was really interesting as we were at trade shows, people would come to us and they'd be in California and they'd love it, but they're like, ooh we have fires and we have floods and we have high taxes. So, you know, that looks very good on paper, except for those two things. There were people who would come and they'd be in New York and they'd say, oh yeah, New York is bad, you know, the best. Oh, except that we have crime or we have other things. And yet the Charlotteans would come and say, we love Charlotte, period. Right. And that was it. And I think that was our impetus to look at it. Also, as Michael had said, you know, they, uh, he had grown up on a lake and that was very important that there was a lake and there's a beautiful lake community in Charlotte called Lake Norman. And it has, you know, 35 miles of, you know, of lake. And so it was really, really attractive. I think that, you know, for Charlotte, the people are super nice. And if, you know, and I think that people are very welcoming to what you need to do. And I'm huge, huge fan of Charlotte and always said that I'm their best ambassador. And then Mike, that you are. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. What about for you of, of being able to to have that that exit early in your in your life, your career? Did that change what your outlook for what things were going to be for you, or how did you then move to that that next stage? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's for for me, it was always uh, you know, it was a kind of a building block for the next thing. Um, and, um, you know, and one of the things I think uh, that I kind of recognized early on about myself that was kind of reinforced in that experience is, um, you know, probably the hardest I ever worked um, was running this painting business at college. 
Um, and I was, you know, I was running this painting business. I had a lot of employees I had. And at the same time, I was going to school and, um, and like, you know, um, you know, one of the best lessons I had in terms of delegation was, um, you know, when we first got the George Washington contract, I think I went like, you know, because I ended up in order to get to paint all the dorm rooms by, you know, the time the students were coming back, I had to kind of assemble, you know, three shifts, you know, working 24 hours a day. And so at the beginning, I thought, well, I better, I have to manage all three shifts. Um, and so I kind of like three days went by without sleeping. And finally, one day I like passed out in the hallway at George Washington University. And I realized like, this is not like sustainable. And so that was kind of the first lesson in, in kind of leadership and delegation from the standpoint of, you know, I need to get, you know, find, you know, hire really good people that have the same, you know, kind of characteristics and um, core values and all those type of things that I have as a leader to, so that I feel comfortable you know, having, you know, delegating authority for them to, um, you know, run these crews so I can get some sleep. And, uh, and so that was like the catalyst of how I learned kind of delegation. But one of the things that it kind of, I took from that, which actually is really kind of helped, you know, across multiple companies is one of the, you know, and other entrepreneurs, one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs really get kind of hung up on and why, you know, um, they never break through to, the next scale, they grow to be kind of a three to five million dollar business, but they can't figure out how to get the you know ten or fifteen or twenty million. Is that um, they have a complex around hiring people that are better than them, and um, and they're like, well, what does that say about me if I'm somebody's better than I am, and you know, in engineering or in sales or whatever it is. And what I kind of learned early on is um, is um, the more people you hire better than you, the more you know, leverage you have in scaling your business. Um, and, uh, and so I always you know, kind of leaned into that early on and uh, try to just you know, focus on hiring the best talent, best people I could, and, um, and got a lot of energy out of you know, actually learning from people that you know, I was hiring that were better than I was in you know, different disciplines. And so that was one of the great you know, kind of you know, lessons uh, learned there. Uh, from that experience. So quick interjection point. Anybody listen to this? And if you've listened to more than one, or if you listened to the 70 plus uh, episodes so far that we've released, there's a common theme and there's, it's called humility. <laughs> and you just demonstrated that like, hey, hire somebody better than you. And it takes humility to do that. You know, um, it takes tremendous amount of humility. And that's why you guys are on this program. We appreciate the humility that and, and the stories that you guys have, because we can learn from that. We can't learn from arrogance, you know, so uh, very interesting. So I, I, I got one question that's kind of been burning in my mind. Did you guys meet through the painting thing or how did you guys meet i'm just curious about that oh i, I mean uh no we met at, at the georgetown pub uh but uh i'll let, let cindy tell the story yeah so um there was a there were no fraternities and sororities formally at georgetown but there was a business fraternity that was um both for women and men and so um you know i'm years ahead of michael in regards to um college and so what you do is you have a 
uh, like a pledge underneath you, right? So you have a little brother or big sister underneath you. And what happened is they had assigned another person to me. And one of my friends said, oh, can we switch? I'll have Michael with you and I'll take someone else because she was from Chicago and the other person was Chicago. And so that's how we met. We met through, um, through that. And um, I remember walking back from the pub or walking back from anything. His apartment was right there before mine. And so that's how I would see him. And that's how we met. Oh, that's cool. I just figured with the, the painting thing is like, you know, who was working for who? In that yeah. One? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it was a, it was a, a national, well, they were in Canada and they were in the United States and every region had somebody who was um, leading that region. And so we both were involved with that, you know, with that region. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I think what a great story. In, region, um, in the United States. Very cool. Can I go back and tell a funny story that maybe you? Yeah. Want to Cindy, yeah. you could tell funny stories for the rest of the show if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually have more funny stories that I think people would want to hear. So one of the things that happened to me, and this is the theme of you got to roll with it. So um, I was driving a Jeep at that time. So thank God everybody knows what a Jeep is right now. Then it doesn't have to explain. So I was driving a Jeep and I had in buckets a lot of flowers in the back of the Jeep and was going from floors to floors to deliver them. Well, one time I was going to a florist and my car was parked literally 10 feet from me. And I had my back to the car and I was talking to the florist. Well, she started to say, oh my God, oh my God. And I turned around and my car is driving down the street. Somebody had hijacked this car, right? Now that's one thing, but I have product in the car. Anyway, it did get hijacked and I had to call, you know, and at this point there were no cell phones, right? So I had to get to, I have no money. I have nothing, right? So I had to, um, call and say, oh my gosh, like this truck is gone. Where's the police station, et cetera, et cetera. Shortly, what happened, how we found the car is in Boston, there's an Italian district and there are rules in the Italian district that don't apply actually to rules in Boston. And people had seen this car. They knew it didn't belong there. And so they had called the police with a private tip about the car. So I'm all happy because I really have to get my product back. And there were thousands and thousands of dollars from deliveries that were sitting, cash that was sitting in the car. Anyway, so um, the Italian district, they, they made a call. The police go to get the car. And as they're getting the car, they get an emergency um, call. They have to leave. So now the car is moved again and it's lost. They don't know where my car is. Well, eventually they did find it and they had put it in a, you know, in a parking lot for me. Well, well, I get in the car and lo and behold, I open it because I'm like, sure, all the thousands of dollars are gone, but it's not. But instead, there is an entire bag of cocaine in my car. I'm like, oh my God, I have to get rid of this cocaine. Like, this is crazy. But my flowers were intact. And I go to one of the florists, my clients in the Italian district. 
And the first thing he says is, I'll take the cocaine. I'm like, no way. I am not moving until this thing is out of my car. I mean, I could get arrested. Um, so the police, they came and they took the cocaine. Well, lo and behold, the people who had my car had stolen all of this product. They'd gone in and stolen like all these clothes, et cetera. And one left his football jacket in my car. So I knew who it was and who the football, you know what I mean? But I'm like, you got to go there. You got to go there. And really, I mean, what happened was knowing who their parents were, the police were like, we just can't. So it was interesting. I did get the car back. Again, I cannot say enough in the theme. You got to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Roll literally, down the road. With with it, it. Right? Somebody yeah, was like, taking your advice. <laughs> yeah. So that was the second business I was in. So yeah, it's uh it's really interesting what you gotta do. Cindy, you've had in addition to these hiccups and stories along the way, but you you've had multiple businesses and it leads up into rhythm systems. But before we get into specifically what that does, can you talk about some of the biggest lessons you learned that you applied to co-founding rhythm systems? Yeah, I think there are a lot of lessons. Um, I think one is humility. I think as a leader, people want to follow you, but they don't want to, I don't think that they need to be you. And I think that's a really important thing. People have um, superpowers and I've always had that. My job is to find their superpowers and have them exceed. And my job then is to take everyone's superpowers and combine them. And that's one of the most important things that I think I've learned as a leader is to do that. And when you do that, you'll get two, three X the performance. It's such a great lesson. That, that makes perfect sense. And Mike, you had talked about the lesson of surrounding yourself with people better than yourself in areas, right? And those two are very intertwined. What, what else were you able to, to think about or apply from your early entrepreneurship experiences to Avid Exchange before you co-founded that one? Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I, you know, learned also kind of through the process around you know, actually uh, starting a company um, is, you know, there's, everyone has lots of, you know, you know, ideas. And I always, you know, kind of, um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I, I tell a lot of entrepreneurs, people come to me is like um, the whole consumer side of it. Like, you know, uh, I, I don't really understand as much uh, because of the consumer type behavior. I really understand, you know, business to business. Um, and in business to business, you're solving very specific business problems. And, um, and I always you know, kind of went back to, you know, how big of a problem is this? And then the lit, and then I kind of learned, you know, early on the real litmus test on, you know, solving a business problem is, is somebody going to pay you to solve that problem? Or is it just more of a nuisance? And, um, and, you know, they'd like to have it solved, but it's not something that's big enough that they're going to actually pay for. And so um, I kind of learned that, you know, that's the, the litmus test is, you know, are they going to pay you to solve this problem and how much are they going to pay you? And, um, and so that was, um, you know, kind of a, a cornerstone and, you know, kind of a learned a, a, along the way. And, um, and, and then, you know, what's kind of, you know, uh, you know it's a great you know, kind of story when, 
uh, you know, founding Avid Exchange, um, you know, part of the catalyst was that I was, um, you know, I just exited, you know, the previous business uh, and uh, I was up at dinner with Daniel Levine, um, a longtime Charlotte entrepreneur and a real estate holder and owns lots of property and, and parking lots in downtown Charlotte. And, um, and Daniel um, said, Mike, you got some time in your hands. Uh, you know, would you mind spending time with my CFO? Because our account's payable process is all screwed up. I can never find invoices that I, you know, want to find the pay and things like that. And I'm sure there's technology out there. And um, can you just, you know, recommend some technology that we could use so we can, um, you know, make our, you know, automate our uh, accounts payable process, make it more efficient. And so uh, I said, well, gee, you know, I know nothing about accounts payable, but, you know, um, I do have time on my hands. Uh, I just exited uh, our past business. And um, so I went and spent time with the CFO and I'm like, holy cow, like this process is really like, you know, you know, paper intensive, labor intensive, and uh, kind of screwed up. And, uh, but then I was like, oh, but it's Daniel's company. So it's probably, you know, maybe just particularly to Daniel, everybody else in the world's probably kind of figured this out, right? And so then um, I'm out to dinner a couple weeks later with another entrepreneur in Charlotte, uh, Todd Grelick. And he was running um, um, a title insurance company at the time um, with his father. And uh, I was telling him the Daniel Levine story. He says, well, my accounts payable process is kind of screwed up as well. You know, can you help? Uh, can you, um, why don't you take a look at our process and see what you know what you think? And so I did that. And then I came back and I'm like, holy cow, there's an opportunity here. Um, and I did a bunch of research and like, you know, there are no solutions um, really for, there's, you know, maybe solutions for big enterprise companies, um, but for, you know, kind of middle market, you know, there really weren't any solutions. And that was part of the catalyst of starting Avid Exchange. So you had that, that catalyst, you had that in, interaction with those two people, saw after the research that there was a need. How do you then take it from, oh, there's a need, I have some time on my hands to actually creating Avid Exchange? Yeah. Um, and so one, you know, um, things, you know, kind of really, you know, we did right after that and went back to, you know, kind of, you know, Daniel and said, okay, if we actually, you know, um, are able to automate this process, like how much is it worth to you and how much you, you know, would you pay us, um, you know, as a solution? And um and surprisingly enough, um, the what I realized was that he would pay us um, quite a bit of money because of how inefficient this process was for them. And I said, well, if this is you know this case for you know you know Daniel and Levine properties, um, let's extrapolate this um, you know across. And at the time, our viewpoint was uh, very specifically companies that looked just like Daniel. So we focused on real estate companies. Uh, that we used the exact same accounting system as Levine Properties. And, and that was a very narrow view, but that's how we got started. And, and the, kind of the lesson learned there in what I tell, um, you know, kind of other entrepreneurs is everyone tries to like boil the ocean from the beginning. And, uh, and actually my experience and other entrepreneurs that have been really successful, they started solving a very specific business problem in a very narrow industry first. And then they took that and they kind of extrapolated out. And what we've done at Avid Exchange is um, for that, you know, for real estate with one accounting system, um, we then, you know, kind of expanded to other accounting systems within real estate. And then we started expanding to other vertical markets. So today, dialed forward, um, we're integrated over 220 different accounting systems and support eight different vertical markets 
uh, that we really um, are the industry leader in, um, as well as then cover the horizontal market more through through a partner ecosystem. And so, um, you know, kind of the lesson learned that I try to advocate is um, really focus on solving a very specific business problem and then leverage the success of doing that in a very, you know, narrow market and then build on it. And I think a lot of people get caught up on just trying to do too much too soon, uh, you know, boil the ocean. And, um, and there's not a lot of good examples that I have for companies being successful by starting with that type of approach. So, so one thing that I want to add and just have you guys both talk about, because both of your companies have something to do with scaling, not just the fact that you did scale, but there's, you have processes and you've followed, you mentioned some core values and stuff. And I'm, I'm familiar, Mike, with what you've done with scaling up and with even yeah. implementing uh, rhythm systems. And I just think it's really interesting. And anybody listening, you've lived through a few downturns. Like you started, you know, about during the dot-com bubble bust, yeah. if I remember. I so, right uh, before, actually, right? I get asked a lot about that today because people are wondering like how the current economic macro environment is going to impact our business. I say, hold on people, there's a history lesson here because we've actually lived through a bunch of these, you know, uh, environments in the past. Yeah. So, I, I would like both of you to talk about that because you've you've got lots of data points across and and Mike I've seen you know I don't know you as well as I do know Cindy um, but I've seen what you've done at Abbott Exchange um, you know I've got friends uh, Chris Elmore <laughs> the ZZ Top man <laughs> and what a wild what oh, yeah. a funny guy and then also Robert Fish who was with you early on. And I just think that the protocol and the systems, the framework that you have used to help manage the scale mm -hmm. of your growth is very, very important because um, you learned how to not have all roads lead to you. Um, and if anybody's listening, you know, you've, you've heard that through what he said about learning to delegate. He had humility, hire people better and smarter than you, et cetera. I, I would question on the smarter than you, though, but um, that's another side topic. But talk to us about frameworks and what you guys have done and, and how you've leveraged even uh, rhythm systems. And Cindy, we're going to need you to talk about that specifically in case somebody doesn't know what that is. So, Mike? Yeah, I can. So, so first of all, is, you know, we're a, now a 22-year-old company. We started in, uh, you know, April 2000 uh, by, you know, trying to solve Daniel Levine's uh, accounts payable problem. And uh, so now forward, you know, dial forward, um, you know, kind of 22 years and our kind of next big milestone is being, you know, kind of a half a billion dollar, you know, revenue business. And, um, but when I look at kind of Avid Exchange, uh, it's really been multiple, you know, I kind of think as multiple companies at different points in time. And, um, and so, you know, say, you know, the first one is just how do you build up the same $5 million business? Well, um, then when you go say 5 million to like 20 million to maybe 50 million to hundred million, then the, you know, kind of um, from that, one of the things you learn, which is probably, you know, one of the hardest things uh, for entrepreneurs to, you know, kind of to manage is that you need different um, people 
different skill sets, different experiences at each of these stages. And um, one of the things that's really hard is you have somebody that's like, you know, been in the, you know, the bunker, the foxhole with you, you know, just getting the business off the ground, you're starting to get success, you know, you're, you're kind of, you hit maybe 5 million revenue, and you're growing, but then like, that's not the right person that's going to, you know, allow you to be successful and get into a $20 million business. And, uh, and, and those, and that's really hard. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, what happens is a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, they kind of try with their existing teams and they kind of realize, um, and it takes them a long time to realize that they need to make changes in order to really scale to the next level. And so one of the things that, um, you know, we've, uh, we haven't been perfect at this, uh, but we try really hard is in those scenarios to really have candid, honest discussions about, you know, the skill sets and experiences that someone may have and say, listen, like, you know, you're, you're the leader of, you know, this function in our business today, but to get to the next level, we need a different type of leader there. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to lead the business, but let's figure out a role that leverages the skill sets that you have. And, uh, and you mentioned somebody like a Chris Elmore. Chris is actually somebody like, uh, you know, he'll tell you probably the exact number. He's probably had like 15 jobs at Avid Exchange you know, over the last 22 years. And he's somebody where, you know, he, he was the, you know, like, you know, the leader of our, you know, professional services group early on when we were a young business. Um, well, you know, and Chris will, you know, tell you this, and one of Chris's, you know, uh, Chris does a lot of things really well, but one of the things that he kind of, you know, doesn't do well is manage, you know, large number of people at scale. In fact, like he hates it. Right. Like, yeah, you'll run from, you'll run from the hills, you know? Um, and, but like when you're, you know, you know, when you're, you know, to go from 5 million to 20 million, you need somebody that, you know, can really effectively manage a professional services team that's, that's growing and expanding. Right. And so, um, the, but managing those people dynamics is what's really hard. And, and, and one of the things, um, you know, there's, there's no good, you know, textbooks or, you know, you don't learn in school, you know, kind of people management necessarily. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's uh, that's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs because they're very proficient in whatever disciplines that are in. But when you're kind of scaling a business, um, <laughs> most of the discussions that I spend my day in are, are people discussions around, you know, who's, you know, like, you know, and it, we're still doing it today at Avid Exchange, you know, where, you know, uh, now it's like, you know, you know, what are the, you know, the different skill sets and experiences that we need to go from 500 million to a billion in revenue, which, well, those are very different skill sets than getting to like hundred million revenue, you know? And, and so it, it never stops really. Um, but it's like, okay, like how do we manage these people dynamics and to give people the right roles to be successful? And one of the things that I, I learned in time is, um, <laughs> almost 100% of the time when you try to put somebody in a role where, you know, they're, you know, they're not being successful, they know it before you know it. Um, and, and there is, and, and what happens is they're not happy either because people want to be successful in what they do, right? And so part of it is like, you know, getting people roles that they can be successful, which may be different, you know, levels or different, you know, titles, all those type of things, but managing that process is so important. Yeah, you know, it's funny, people and communication issues are, are the number one issue in every company. <laughs> it's, that, that's the deal. Yeah. 
And so how do you get people aligned and focused yeah. and executing well together, so, right? That, that's a great segue to uh, to new business rhythm system. So, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, uh, we kind of learned early on is that, you know, especially in a high growth environment, and just to give, you know, context, um, you know, Avid Exchange uh, now has grown on average, um, you know, 30% plus for over 10 years in a row. And so there's just a massive amount of chaos that happens at that level of growth for as long as it's it's occurred. Um, and by definition, like every process you have breaks every 18 months or so uh, because of different level of scale. And so one of the things that we leaned into very early on was what Cindy was doing with Rhythm Systems and how do you kind of bring you know, organization and alignment to all this chaos. And, um, and it really provided a great platform that um, we could get visibility across the business uh, and taking like all these annual objectives um, and even quarterly objectives and knowing like real time, day to day, week to week, whether we were on track, off track. And what usually happens in companies, you have, you know, say quarterly planning process, create quarterly objectives. And then like the quarter goes by and then next quarter you're back at your offsite and you're saying, well, what happened last quarter? Well, we, we, you know, we delivered these, but we like didn't deliver these. And then you're like, well, you realize well, like you had no shot of delivering the other ones because you're off track, like the second week of the quarter, but like you didn't like talk about it or solve for it until, you know, the next quarterly offsite meeting. And uh, what this has really done is it's brought visibility to real-time, making real-time adjustments as the quarter's playing out on whether we're red, yellow, green across all the core initiatives that we have as a business and create the alignment because it's like, okay, like, you know, we're, we have dependencies, say, to deliver a product feature on another group. Well, you know, is our priority on that other group radar or not, you know, and uh, you're not going to deliver it if it, it's not one of their priorities as well. And how do you create that alignment across the business? And especially as the business continues to grow and becomes very complex, lots of people, all those type of things. Um, how do you create that alignment um, and visibility? And uh, Rhythm Systems has been masterful in terms of you know doing that for Avid Exchange. That's a, a perfect segue to Cindy bring you back in. Um, Mike teed you up pretty well there. So talk to us a little bit deeper about um, rhythm systems, how, what they do, how they work with CEOs and businesses, things like that. And obviously we can keep digging from there. Sure. So uh, rhythm systems help CEOs of mid-market growth companies that are scaling. And the challenge that they have, as Michael explained, is they have more and more priorities and goals. And it's very, very difficult to take those goals and make sure that everyone in the organization understands them and can track them and make changes by them. So that's what our software does. So I think you talked a little bit about systems and wanted to know a little bit about systems that you can put in to help you organize. That is one. And I will tell you that we use it. So part of that system is make sure that you have an annual plan and that you're very focused. One of the big problems is people will put in 20 or 30 priorities or goals in their plan. Well, that's not realistic. So you got to get it down to three to five. And that's really, really hard for entrepreneurs who say yes to everything. So three to five is where we try to work on. 
We also then are working on strategy called core values. So core values are those things that you believe in, that's your DNA of your company. And it's very important and it's very, very important because really it's a fireable offense. So you could have posters out there. You could have things like, oh, we want to be respectful. We want to, you know, help the customer, you know, whatever it might be. But those are very generic. So I'll give you a couple of examples that we had. One that I put in very early on was be appreciative. I think it's really important to stop and be appreciative of what you've been able to have. Be appreciative of your customers. Be appreciative of your teammates. I think that's really, really important. And to make sure that you follow up with it and say, thank you. Another one is going the second mile, right? Now, going the second mile really has to be a natural thing. You may be able to put that in a process, but it's really a human behavior, right? And then we have families of blessing. That's another example. If you have a challenge and you have to go to a soccer game or you have to go somewhere, go do it. Because my thing is you don't want to ever lose those memories. You can't recapture that. Now you have to be professional about it. If you do, you have to have somebody to cover. If you do, you have to do your work. So it's not a free for all. So having core values, I think, is a really, really important thing. Now for that, that helps you to recruit. And so when we recruit, one of the first things we say is, can you give me an example in the last 30 days of living these? If they can't, they're probably not the right person. So they may have all the skill set that you have, but if you build a culture off the core values, that's going to be really, really difficult if you don't have somebody who has those core values. Now, they have to have the skill as well. So a second thing that we do in recruiting for skills is we actually, instead of just looking for the skills, we look for patterns that they naturally do. So as they're going through each of their jobs or what they've done, we ask them, hey, what was the KPI? What was the metric that you were measured for? Tell me about, did you hit that metric? Now, it's very, very interesting to hear what people say. And then we'll say, hey, what was the high point? What was the low point? How did you handle that? Interviewing with patterns, we use that from top grading, has been incredibly helpful because we're not asking the questions and then kind of prodding the answers we're just listening to patterns. Those are what people would say. So that is another process that I think is incredibly important. The next process that I would talk about a little bit is how do you welcome employees? So there was a speaker that talked about this and he said, think about it. When your employees leave, you have this great party for them. But their first day typically is horrendous. They come in, they sit at a desk, they wait for HR to give papers. It's very lonely. It's very scary. Maybe they get a computer and it's set up. But what I did is flipped it to great first day. Great first day when they come in, their manager is meeting them. They have balloons on their desk. And the first thing they do is the manager talks to them. Now, I had the manager actually put a two-week plan together so they knew what they were going to be doing every week and they knew you know, what they had to study every week. Then the next thing that they did is I always spent time with them talking about the strategy and the firm. I sat down and really, really did that. And I think that that was really, really helpful. And then one of the other things we did is we sent a gift to their family. If they didn't have family, we sent a gift to themselves and just said how happy we were to have them. 
So I think great first day is another process that you can put in. And then the last thing I'll talk about is in sales. So I kind of deviated from the percentages when you're looking at sales and the percentages. And we had an opportunity to have a consultant in and really work with us on spin selling. And one of the things there is that they look at the probability of things closing by, at, by actions of stage. So for example, if you have an advance, which means you've talked to a client and they've scheduled something else, you have asked them to do something and they did it, that's called an advance. If you have an advance, that's more powerful than if you had a conversation and you have what's called a continuation. Yes, I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to schedule something, et cetera, right? And then you have projected to close. That's where you have everything aligned. You know, the date it's going to close, et cetera. So I really differentiated in our model. We use HubSpot and we use a model that we had a projected to close, a continuation and an advance. And that's how I think we were able to manage more sufficiently what the pipeline was gonna be and what it was gonna turn into. So those are the processes that we've used and we recommend them to our clients as well. So as we have just you know, gone through two and a half years of chaos from COVID and where a lot of people had to shift and we've, we've seen a lot of companies that did well and we've seen a lot of companies that didn't. And one of the common denominators that we've seen in those companies that did well, they had systems in place, they um, had accountability, they had outside influences as in coaches or peer groups or a combination of both, but they had systems. And they had flexibility to pivot as they needed to pivot because those that didn't and just said, well, Hopefully we'll ride this thing out two weeks to, you know, back to normalcy. Well, uh, no, <laughs> two weeks to normalcy didn't happen. And normalcy, I don't know that it ever will. You know, what's normal, you know, besides setting on a dryer, you know, you, you've said it, you got to roll with it, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've seen that. Uh, but the, one of the best ways I think that you can roll with it is if you do have some systems. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've seen what Rhythm Systems does. And I've seen like, Mike, you have done a fantastic job as a leader, being able to drive that accountability and visibility throughout your organization. Again, I don't know a ton of people, but I do know a few key people that have been key people in your, your company. Mm -hmm. And I've just seen what you've done. And it's just the, the, you know, it speaks for itself, not just the numbers, but the impact in the city. If anybody's ever gone out to the Avid Exchange um, music area, factory, yeah, yeah, the music factory. I mean, but it's it's Avid Exchange. Yeah. I mean, it's like amazing. Yeah. So the ripple effect that both of you guys have had in our community, and really with with other companies around the globe. Is just amazing. So I'm glad that you left Boston. Um, I'm glad that you came down here. I'm glad you left Sheboygan. Love Kohler. Love uh, Johnsonville Brats every once in a while. Um, but um, I'm really glad that you guys are in this city because it's a it's a beautiful city. 
And the, the way it gets even more beautiful besides the weather is a deeper weave, a tighter weave with the interconnectedness of other entrepreneurs who really care about their people, who care about their communities, who care about the families. So I just want to say thank you. No, well, thanks for, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of creating the, the podcast program that you have. I think, you know, one of the catalysts of creating this, you know, uh, more vibrant um, entrepreneur ecosystem is having, you know, people like you, Gary, that are actually creating mechanisms to tell the story because so much of, you know, kind of how you grow, um, you know, anything is to be able to articulate the story around it to get other people to engage in it. And so uh, we need people like you in the ecosystem to be able to tell the story and get the messages out. Yeah, you're great, Gary. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. blushing. Um, but no, it, it, it just brings me so much joy to uh, be with y'all. And what's funny is all, all of us, all four of us have been entrepreneurs. Um, we all, in our 20s, I, I did my first turnaround at 28, um, didn't have the kind of exit you guys did. I caught my partner embezzling. <laughs> but, um, but Ben sold his first company at 24. And it's, it's a lonely journey at times. And it's terrifying at times, too. That's what a lot of people don't understand, unless you've been in it. And then you know, yeah, <laughs> it, it ain't all wine and roses, or roses in, in a Jeep leaving to go down the street with cocaine in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a funny story. I'm yeah. glad you told that. Yeah. Thank you both for coming on. Are there any final thoughts either of you want to leave the uh, the listeners with? And if not, we'll uh, we'll ask where you want people to be able to come follow you or or hear more about you. No, um, I think yeah, we covered a lot of ground here today. And uh, what I would say is that uh, you know it's a journey, and I think you know sometimes people get um, you know caught up in that you know uh, things are going to happen quickly. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to have an exit, and it's going to happen fast. And I think maybe that happened at certain points in time in history, uh, but for the most part, you know, it takes real time uh, to build a business. And in fact, I was able to hear Warren Buffett speak at um, Wake Forest uh, Business School you know, a number of years back. And one of the students asked a question about his experience in venture investing. And he kind of thought about it and he said, you know, I'll tell you something, um, you know, um, you really have to have the long-term perspective because I personally, this is Warren Buffett speaking, said, I haven't had a successful venture investment that hasn't taken 20 years. And uh, and I think, you know, that kind of puts in perspective, Av Exchange, we're, you know, we're 22 years old and we're 21 years uh, when we had our IPO, which uh, we just came up on our one year anniversary uh, uh, last week. And it takes real time to build a business. And so I think, um, you know, you have to manage through the short term, you know, ups and downs and just you know, continue to have the long-term perspective of what you're delivering. Uh, for your customers and what you're trying to build. Um, and in terms of following me, um, obviously uh, LinkedIn is a, a good place. I try to lean in on thought leadership. And then uh, if you want a little bit more of a kind of a, a personal kind of thought leadership, um, it's on Instagram, uh, Mike Prager on Instagram, um, one word. And uh, I do, um, it's all about, you know, kind of thought leadership and more of a personalized uh, kind of version of thought leadership. And every Monday, I uh, do um, what I call a, a 60 second video on, I call it Monday Insights. And it's about something I'm thinking about that week uh, that relates to some aspect of leadership. Very cool. Perfect. Thanks for that. Cindy, how about you? 
Yeah, you can follow me at LinkedIn, Cindy Prager. And also, if you want to learn more about Rhythm Systems and see our core values, you know, please feel free to go to rhythmsystems.com. Thank you both so much for sharing. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us, and uh, we're happy to come back anytime. Yeah, all right, we, good. We barely touched on uh, corporate social responsibility. There still didn't die. Cindy didn't talk at all about you speaking. We have so many more things we could cover with you. Thank you again. Sure, we appreciate it.